Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the billboard.com pop shop podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. Hey, Keith. How are you? Great. Good. I'm great. It's it's Monday. Well, you're listening to this on a Tuesday, but I'm, could, I'm feeling great. You could be listening to it on a Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> Whenever you're listening to us. Thanks yeah. for listening. You could be listening to this, you know, years in the future. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah, oh, so, my God. Whatever. Yeah. Maybe we'll have days of the week when you're listening to it's this. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> um, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we'll be talking about Katy Perry's brand new single, Never Really Over, its debut on the pop songs chart, and if this could chart a new course for the pop star. Hmm. Plus, the live-action Aladdin soundtrack arrives in the top 10 on the Billboard 200. Could it possibly mirror the success of the animated Aladdin soundtrack? Hmm. And we'll preview this Sunday's... This coming Sunday's Tony Awards. Words. Either either way that you would have said that would have made total sense. Yeah, this Sunday's Tony Awards. Sunday's That's what Tony I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, we've got a Tony Award winner on the podcast. Yes, we do. The amazing Tony Grammy and Emmy Award winning Ben Platt joins us to talk about his debut album, Sing to Me Instead, his just wrapped tour, his upcoming Radio City Music Hall show in September, and of course, the Tony Awards, where he's a presenter this year. So stay tuned for that in just a little bit. We could have plugged him in for the Grammy previews, the Emmy previews, any... <laughs> He could have just been in all the award show previews. We, we, we may have him back. He's just going to be our, our awards commentator. <laughs> exactly. Him and John Legend. Yeah. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Let's talk about the charts. Hey, let's talk about the charts. Woo. <laughs> all right. On the, theme song. on the pop songs airplay chart, Katy Perry's new single, Never Really Over debuts at number 26, granting the pop star her 27th hit on the list. How many days of airplay is that counting? Uh, well, it came out, what, last? Midnight, Thursday, Friday. Like, first thing Friday. So, like, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Three, three days. It counts three days. Yeah, three days. Um, I sure it wasn't Thursday? It was midnight, Thursday. Yeah, I mean. so really just three days of airplay. Mm. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, that's pretty good for after just three days. Yeah, I mean, it's a great song. Have you listened to it already? I have. Um, and the, uh, uh, it's never really over until you know, yes. like the, that part. Yes. Because of the, the wordplay. Yes. It's like never really over, you know, come over until it's over. Just the way that whoever wrote that, mm-hmm. that's like really crafty. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And it, it, it's, it's both, um, crafty word, word, wording, crafty word choices and also just the da 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 like it's like a little it's like the rhythm of it like sticks in your head i mean i think it's probably one of the better things she's done in a while oh i agree she probably would tell you the same thing no i think it's a great she may say that about every single that she puts out okay that's fair that's what pop stars do but this one um you know it 
it's funny the lead up to it seemed very like um like hippie-ish in a field like this Florence whole thing and the machine in the field i was really expecting something way lower key so when this pop song came out mm-hmm. i was really pleasantly surprised well, so Perry last had a number one on the pop songs chart with Dark Horse way back in 2014. Uh, the tune, which was her 11th number one, spent five weeks at number one and 26 weeks on the chart. Since then, she's notched 10 more hits, including the new single, Never Really Over, but only three of those reached the top 10, and all three of them peaked at number eight. So bizarre. I know. How bizarre. <laughs> it says OMC. Uh, birthday in 2014, Chain to the Rhythm, featuring Skip Marley in 2017, and Feels, the Calvin Harris single on which she was featured also in 2017. So Katie, will this, do we think, be the song that will help bring her back to not just the pop spotlight, but also maybe to the top of the pop songs chart? It could be. I mean, I feel like... I'm confident it could be. I was going to say, I feel confident in saying that, it like, top five... Okay. Yeah. Like, so hold me to that. Feels top, it feels top 10. Yeah. And things could like, you know, take a while to climb there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of the best pop songs have that sort of slower trajectory, but I want to hear this on the radio. Yeah. So I'm hoping. All right. We'll see. In other chart news, the soundtrack to the new live action Aladdin film debuts at number six on the Billboard 200 chart. Katie, would you like to take a guess as to where the soundtrack to the 1992 animated film on which the new film is based, peaked at on the Billboard 200 chart. I'm going to just guess one. Nope. Really? It didn't hit it didn't hit the top. Hit number six. Se- oh, really? Yep. So it's currently matched. Yep. Currently success. matched. That's shocking because I just think about, I don't know, a whole new world being like everywhere. What was it? Peeble Bryson? That's the, right. That version? In fact, I'm about to tell you. Oh, well, the, the, <laughs> oh good. <laughs> that, that soundtrack spawned a huge hit single in A Whole New World as, <laughs> well, reco- <you> don't say. <laughs> as recorded for its single release by Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. Of course, in the movie, um, the characters themselves, uh, you know, of Aladdin and Jasmine, I forget the singing voices, um, sang it. It's, it's okay. Leah Salonga is Jasmine. Yes. and the, I don't know who Aladdin I, is. Um... Yeah, well, yeah. it's someone. Sorry. It's actually someone kind of famous, and I've forgotten it. Oh, Ro- shoot. Was it like no? Robbie Benson was the Beast in Aladdin. Eh, I don't know. Never uh, mind. I I would not have been able to give you Regina Bell from that. I knew P.O. Bryson did a whole new world and Beauty and the Beast with Celine, right? Mm-hmm. But I did not know Regina Bell. I could not have come up with that name. Well, um, the Peebo and Regina version, which I think was also on the soundtrack at the end of the soundtrack it also played over the end credits of the film it does play over the end credits of the film because i just watched it on saturday oh okay <laughs> the originally animated that's why you had it in your head a yes. second ago <laughs> well the track soared to number one on the billboard hot 100 dated march 6th 1993 the cut also spent six weeks at number one on the adult contemporary airplay chart and a week at number one on the pop songs airplay chart Uh, The new film version of Aladdin is the latest retelling of Disney's 1992 film. That movie spawned two direct-to-video sequels, an animated TV series, video games, and a Broadway musical. Was Robin Williams in any of the sequels? He was in the second of the two um, direct-to-video sequels because the first direct-to-video sequel, he was uh, in the midst of sort of a feud with Disney because they did not honor his request to not have his voice and name kind of commercialized 
uh, in relation to Aladdin. Oh, yeah. like Disney World commercials and stuff like. With- I, no, in like you know having like uh, uh, the genie sold his toys oh. and having like the genie take up like most of the poster space on mm, posters and it, it turned into something that Robin didn't want. Um, and I watched a whole documentary about this. this oh, is why interesting. Suddenly in my head. And so he didn't want to do the direct-to-video sequel. And then they, uh, I guess there was a new Disney chairman that came in, and he publicly apologized on behalf of the Disney company to Robin Williams. Smart. And then uh, they made amends, and uh, eventually uh, Robin did uh, Goodwill Hunting, which at the time was for Miramax, which was the Harvey Weinstein company, but that was also part of Disney at the mm-hmm. time, and that's what won Robin Williams' Oscar. Um, interesting side note here. Oh, man. Keith's got some as, intel. As as if, little did I know with this question. As if those side notes weren't already interesting enough. <laughs> uh, apparently, Disney, uh, a couple years ago, uh, but I guess after Robin Williams' death or maybe before that, had announced how they were going to do some sort of new kind of Aladdin origin story or something. Something involving the genie, like an animated movie involving the genie. And they were going to use outtakes from Robin Williams' recording sessions for the original Aladdin movie, like like moments that hadn't been heard before. But apparently, in Robin Williams' will, it says that Disney cannot use any of his like out- unused recordings for 25 years after his death. That's great. Imagine that. I think anybody listening to this who's in a large movie franchise right now should maybe make that same... <laughs> uh, Make that same addition to their will. So, yeah, I mean, it had a, a direct-to-video sequels, a t- a animated cartoon, video games, yep. a Broadway musical. It was a phenomenon. Yeah. So, <laughs> speaking of Broadway. <laughs> I crafted the script this way. Speaking of Broadway, the 73rd Annual Tony Awards will be held this coming Sunday, June 9th, in New York at Radio City Music Hall. The show will be broadcast on CBS at 8 p.m. ET. Is it not live on our coast? It is not live on the so West Coast. So sad. Not live on the West Coast. So 8 p.m. everywhere, basically. And uh, it's hosted by Tony winner James Corden for a second time. Tony nominees were announced in late April with the new musical Hades Town earning the most nominations with 14, including Best Musical. Uh, well-known TV and film actors who earn nods include Brian Cranston, Jeff Daniels, Laurie Metcalf, and Adam Driver. So nominated for that Best Musical Award this year are Ain't Too Proud. I always want to say Ain't Too Proud to Bag, but it's just Ain't Too Proud. Ain't Too Proud. I literally like had to stop my brain from saying the whole thing. Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, Beetlejuice, based on the Tim Burton film of the same name, the aforementioned Hades Town, The Prom, and Tootsie, based on the film of the same name. So, um... Keith, what do you think will win this year? I mean, you know, we're here in L.A. Have we seen any of these things? Nope. No, not yet. I haven't. So, yeah, full disclosure, we haven't seen these. Um, so with that said, Scott Feinberg, um, who is the awards editor of our sister publication, The Hollywood Reporter, has forecasted Town uh, hmm. to win. Um, and I checked a couple other sort of prognosticating websites that sort of specialize in this, and that seems to be the show to beat. Um, I've listened to a little of that music and oh, it's, you have. yes, it's great. Um, some of it, I, there was a first listen that came out last week on, uh, on Vulture, New York Magazine's Vulture that, uh, I listened to and it's really fantastic music. Um, well, uh, do we know who is performing or presenting on the show? You yet? know, I think it's a good assumption to think that like a lot of those musicals that we, uh, listed will have big marquee performances, but they Point. have not yet announced, um, the performers are yet. Get, are they going to get share to show up? I mean, even though, Oh my God. The, I mean, the share show is not nominated for best musical, but 
it does have, I think, three nominations, including Best Actress. Yeah. And feels, Best Costume Design by Bob Mackie. It feels like if you can get Cher on your show to perform, yeah, Maybe you she opens the show. Yeah. Um, but we do know who is presenting at the show. Um, there was a big announcement last week. Uh, Darren Chris, Tina Fey. Samuel L. Jackson and Sutton Foster are among the first round of presenters. Um, other presenters scheduled for this year's show are Latanya Richardson Jackson, who is Samuel L.'s wife, by the oh. way, Regina King, Laura Linney, Audra McDonald, Billy Porter, Andrew Rannells, and Michael Shannon. And it's safe to assume that we'll see some of those best musical nods uh, on the stage. Maybe we'll see. TBD. I mean, and, and usually they'll sometimes pull some like a special a special performance for you know the 30th anniversary of you know the Lion King or you know exactly or you know maybe because of Aladdin being you know in theaters maybe they'll have a performance from like the Broadway cast of Aladdin with the Aladdin. original another presenter on the show is our guest this week yes Ben Blatt the singer and actor who won a Tony Award for leading actor in a musical for Dear Evan Hansen stopped by the pop shop to discuss his debut album Sing to Me Instead um writing the album his recent tour his upcoming show at radio city and more plus he shared with us a pretty amazing broadway related nugget that neither katie or i was uh expecting uh wait for it at the end of the interview uh so here is our chat with ben platt in one of those days i know to come out can you help me out can i Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast, Ben Platt. What's up? How are you? I'm good, Keith. How are you? I'm okay uh, because you're here. <laughs> um, makes everything better. Oh, shucks. Um, first off, your beard is gone. Yes, it is. Um, Important thing. I, I have a beard. Um, I've had one for a while, but I've been so used to seeing you with one. Yes. Um, what gives? Where'd it go? Well, I like to have it particularly for while we've been doing, promoting the music and, and, and doing the concert tour and stuff because that's my most natural state. It's what I prefer. The, the natural hairy <laughs> state? Exactly. Dirty state? My, ju- my Judaism really showing on mm-hmm. my face. Um, but I had to shave because we are promoting The Politician, which is the Netflix show that I just shot this week uh, in which I play a high school student. So the beard didn't really fly for that. Teen Wolf had a beard. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting for a season two beard. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, well, you released your debut album, Sing to me instead um, earlier this year yes um, it debuted in the top 20 on the billboard 200 chart and its songs and videos have earned more than 35 million on-demand streams in the united states congratulations thank you very much i i, I work in the charts department here so i like to amaze people with amazing numbers <laughs> yeah no I, I was gonna say i've never heard it put in that statistical way so it's exciting <laughs> 35 million on-demand streams it's like five to seven million are the Jews from my community in Los Angeles, but the rest I'll take. I, I feel like there's a there's a healthy spread across all demographics and regions and DMAs. Totally. Sure. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, what did it feel like to get that music out there? Very, I was a little bit nervous about it at first just because I had lived with it alone for so long, just with me and sort of some of my co-writers who had heard the music with me and the few family members I was playing it for over and over again. So it was nice to kind of have it it's like sort of your baby for a while, and then you have to kind of release it to the rest of the yeah. world. So there was like a little bit of melancholy in that. But then as soon as I started seeing people, like the faces of the people that were listening to it and making it part of their lives and doing covers of it and, you know, tweeting about it and putting it in their weddings and things, like that's made it sort of reminded me why I wanted to do it in the first place. And it was incredibly, it's a new experience I've never had. I've, I've never had material of my own out in the world. Right. I've always been sort of a conduit for 
other stories and other characters and other projects and this is purely just putting myself out there yeah and you're on or you just wrapped your first tour so you yes. actually got to see those faces out in the crowd totally. singing along with you um you know talk to us about what that was like it was really wild i mean i think you know i expected places like new york and la to be really warm and wonderful because i performed there before and i mean albeit never as myself but still I felt more familiar with them and I had a lot of friends and family in the crowd. And right. I, but to go to you know Detroit and Toronto you and these places, Texas, that I, right? Yes, to Dallas and Austin okay. and, and everywhere I went and have people singing along to all the songs, not just like the one that we kind of led with, but all the songs on the album was a wild experience. That to to just know that in these last you know two or three months, it's become so much a part of people's lives that they can sing along is very. It was really special and I'm performing live is my ultimate favorite thing to do and I think that was the part of this experience I was the most looking forward to and it exceeded all expectations for sure getting to do it as myself which I've never done did you feel like you like learned new things about the songs and about the music through performing them like that a hundred percent I think I think that there's you know because there's so much focus on cohesion when you're constructing an album and, and I, I know certainly know that when I was narrowing down the songs and, and doing some of the writing and that I wanted very much for it to feel like one feeling and one story and one world and I think it definitely is successful in, in that but I think performing them live really indicated to me sort of the different energies that they each have and mm -hmm. how they can really elicit very different responses and different emotions in a really good way I think and just and set them, them apart. made them all little individuals. Exactly little <laughs> moments of their own little children of their own um, <laughs> which was really fun and it just made me it's taught me in a musical sense how to you know not because this is the first time that I'm going out and, and doing something that's very much based in a recorded piece of music. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was initially a pressure in my mind to sort of recreate sound for sound mm. the, the record. Right. But I think I learned that, like, it's a different animal to sing a song live. And it's it's figuring out how do I love to sing these and how do I feel comfortable singing them and what feels natural and what feels authentic. Obviously, very much in the vein of the track, but not feeling like you have to just be recreating exactly every sound and run and everything like that. Was it an interesting juxtaposition coming from, I mean, obviously, you've done stuff other than uh, Broadway musical theater because we know you from film, TV and theater. But coming right off of Dear Evan Hansen, right. where you have to you you have to do basically the same movements, m moments, everything every night, for the most part. Yes, very um, much so. To going into your own show where you can add different colors or moments or feelings or dance moves. Yeah. To kind of you know modified mashed potato, I think, as you said yes. at some point. <laughs> very good. I'm also amazed that a 25. You're 25, right? I'm also amazed that a 25 year old knows what the mashed potato is. <laughs> to be fair, it's because I did uh, hairspray when oh, I was yeah. a kid. Oh, uh, okay. And I played Link Larkin, and we had to learn that. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. He knows. Oh, never mind. You knew it professionally. <laughs> but so yeah, I, I mean, birth's the bubble. I'm sorry. Was uh, it interesting, like, going from a very structured uh, production for over a year? Uh, to your own thing where, where it felt did it feel really freeing in a way totally I mean I think as far as like how I would consider myself as a showman I definitely like to establish a routine and for there to be a plan and for the evening to have a lot of structure to it mm -hmm. but I think you know as far as the material getting to inform it with how I'm feeling that day or if there's something a joke that I want to add or, or an anecdote that I want to share or you know something about the place that I'm in that I want to say and that I can sort of shape it and have a lot more control over the evening than I do when I'm in someone else's piece right. was really refreshing and I think the greatest divergence from Evan Hansen and just from musical theater in general was just the feeling of getting to invest purely in how do I want to convey the stories and sing the songs and have the music feel and not have the primary task be how do I disguise myself fully and appear to be a completely different person mm -hmm. and serve this other story and like it was sort of like a wall opened up in a nice way. 
a lot of, I like a lot of productions depending on what show you see like if you go see like an Ariana Grande or like Madonna big pop show sure it's like you can't go off script because the laser is about to go off right here it's like oh no we're gonna cue the fog the 13 yes. second mark yeah it's like no we can't you're gonna have... burst out of the stage like, yeah, the, the toaster is gonna lift you up but with your show like um it made me think when you were saying that uh, it kind of reminded me of when I saw Adele here and she has a structured show, but sure. there's not like lasers and fog going off. And she can definitely she she knows what song she's going to sing, but there's still room for her to improvise and tell stories. One million percent. I mean, I'm, I appreciate that in comparison because I truly tried very much to emulate her style mm. of performing because she plays these big rooms with leading very much with the stories and and her own charisma and the and the songwriting and the singing. And so I wanted to create the feeling of the whole evening being very informal and very casual and have these moments of theatricality that sort of rise unexpectedly out of that. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe a bit more structured than it even appears to be. Um, and But then there's room for a lot of looseness and so that when moments start to crystallize and things kind of lighting-wise or set-wise become moments, they, they feel a little more happenstance, which is what I really was happy about. Hmm. And you uh, actually have a big Radio City Music Hall that was just announced in September. Yes. Um, why did that show get tacked on there at the end? You know, I think, um, first of all, that's just always been a dream of mine yeah, to perform sure. there. It's, it's you know, kind it's of the mecca of, yeah, for, for good. <laughs> I mean, I just, if I knew I wasn't going to be a rock I don't have the legs. So I thought the best way to go would be to have my own show. And I just think, you know, New York showed such crazy, crazy enthusiasm when we put the beacon on sale and it just disappeared like that and it's the city I performed in the most and where I think the biggest you know portion of the base of my fans would be and so I think I definitely wanted to do more there and that seemed like the natural next place to go yeah that's epic is there hope that you might add other dates down the road maybe yeah I mean I don't know necessarily structurally because we are going to do another season of this politician show on Netflix if it will be like quote unquote added dates to this particular tour or it could just be a whole another thing but exactly I plan to definitely perform live as myself doing my own music many more times okay <laughs> um, well going back to the album you know you, you wrote or co-wrote um, I think every song on the album yes indeed um, and the album seems pretty personal mm -hmm. um, like every song seems like it, it could have been like a chapter in your life um, or a small snapshot of something that was happening uh, am I hearing the album correctly? <laughs> One million percent, okay. precisely. <laughs> it's definitely an amalgam of like four or five formative romantic experiences and also just my experience growing up with my family and my parents kind of mixed together into this one sort of through line, if you will. Most of the songs um, are kind of in the mid-tempo kind of ballad range. Sure. But there is one track, and I've plum forgotten it, but I think it's about in the middle of the album where it's actually kind of up-tempo. Share your address, maybe? Uh, yes. I think so, yeah. Yes. Would, yes. Which is hilarious, yes. too. Yes. I know. We were laughing at every single lyric. We were listening out loud together. I uh, definitely so. wanted to find some space for that sort of strange humor and kind mm -hmm. of quirk, and I think it worked out very nicely in that song. Yeah, it's so cute. But I read that you are more comfortable with sort of the ballad area. Like, you're not really, like, like you're not into, like, the whole upbeat, like, let's go with, like, a big dance number. I think not necessarily that I have an aversion. I was really hoping for, like, it, a big dance floor filler <laughs> stomper track. I do okay. dance a little bit in the show, in the concert tour. But I think, I think just this being the first time I was ever writing earnestly from my own perspective, I think what came out the most naturally as far as sound and stylistically was ballads, because I think that's, where I've my upbringing has been and that's where sort of emotionality is the easiest to express and that's where all my favorite artists live kind of like the Carole King Adele Joni Mitchell Sam Smith world James of things. Taylor James of course 
Your smiling face is in my Burmese montage. He's been um, on the podcast too. <laughs> yes. No way. Yes. That's insane. He's amazing. But I think once I found the few uptempos that felt authentically my own and didn't feel like too much of a departure from that other stuff and felt like it could belong with them, similar to, similarly to like when Adele puts, you know, Rumor Has It or Rolling mm. in the Deep or one of those, I wanted it to not take away from the greater emotion of it, but just be like a refreshing kind of moment. So I'll have to send you a, a bootleg dance remix of Rolling in the Deep. Oh. oh. It's great. <laughs> Super great. Uh, please. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, we read that you had... 40 songs written for this album that you had to whittle them down mm-hmm. to 12. So does that mean there's, you know, 28 songs floating out there that could be Sing to Me Instead Volume 2 or something mm. one day? Totally. I mean, there's a bu- I have like a giant box folder on my phone of just like all of the songs that didn't make it on. And there are some that I still love and listen to and mm. want to find ways to incorporate in future projects. And then there are some that didn't make it on for a reason. Yeah. But <laughs> um, sure. But yeah, I think it. Uh, most cases, thankfully, it became just very apparent when a song was so strong that it had to be on the record there yeah. wasn't a, too many you know sleepless nights of like this one or this one it, it, sophie's it choice of, moments exactly oh my god i just don't know exactly it was <laughs> it was pretty cut and dry and everyone seemed to agree yeah and um you know as you came up in this theater world was recording an album of original material something that you had always thought of and dreamt of totally i mean i think i definitely wanted to experiment with music and was singing divergent from character and mm. from uh, other people's storytelling. I didn't necessarily know growing up if I was going to be able to write. I just had never really song written as mm-hmm. a kid. I had rewritten songs with my family, like pop songs, musical theater songs for bar mitzvahs and weddings and stuff. Like put new lyrics exactly. to them? Exactly. Oh, like we did like It's Gonna Be Me in Sync, but it was my cousin Ellie, so it was It's Gonna Be E. <laughs> and like for my for my bar mitzvah, they all sang to me a medley from Company, but I was Benny Baby instead of Bobby Baby. Oh my God, that's uh-huh. perfect. Um, so I was always fascinated with like scan and, and lyrics and like construction of new songs and watched a lot of new musicals get written, but I had never tried my hand at it. So I always thought, you know, I would love to sing my own stuff, but I would imagine maybe some other people would be writing it for me and then when I, as soon as I got into a, a house that had my own piano in it the last like two or so years ago and started f- fiddling around and really earnestly giving that a shot I found that that was something that was kind of in my wheelhouse and that I enjoyed doing and felt very authentic to me and then now I can't really imagine doing music unless I've had a hand in it mm. what you, you said so tell me what <laughs> Yum yum I don't, I don't think that was a word the p- you said a piano two years ago is that when you bought a piano so I, I moved in the middle of the Evan Hansen run I moved from a, my first New York apartment into a slightly bigger New York apartment that had room for an upright oh. and so I got an upright piano and it's the first time I had lived in the same space as a piano since I was a kid growing up at home mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird like milestone to mark but I mm-hmm. think there's something about being alone in your house with an instrument that forces you to like be like pretend like no one's watching like dance like no one's watching kind of thing mm-hmm. where you like actually give things a shot and don't feel too self-conscious about just like spitting everything out and see what comes out and that was kind of the impetus for the whole record was sitting around the piano and just which is why a lot of it is piano based totally is that you playing piano on most on of some of the tracks on like Honest Man and, and Better and a couple of things uh, we also have Michael Pollack playing on quite a few of the songs that he wrote with me Ben Abraham who's a co-writer wrote sing, uh, plays like He's My Mind and Temporary Love a couple of those songs um, but yeah I'm on there when I when I can you know when I feel confident enough that my piano playing can stand up to an actual piano player, I keep it on there. That's what I was going to say to your point about being self-conscious. You're surrounded by like world-class musicians. So <laughs> yeah. you're like, I can't play piano, but in actuality you can. It's just like not to this insane level. Right. I'm not a savant with like Bach, like, like <laughs> Michael Pollack. But yeah, I play, I play the ones that feel important to me to, to play. Is uh, the piano that you speak of that is in your apartment the same one that is in the Bad Habit video? 
No. That is not, but it's based very much on that piano. I know. No, it's okay. Pianos around. Well, we had to get that piano to be one that would because we have this sort of floating thing in that video, and mine did not travel very well. So, and I was it's a Petrov, and it's a little bit old, and I didn't want to uproot it. Uproot the upright. But it's meant to feel very much like uproot the upright. upright. (laughs) We should rename the podcast. Hey, welcome to the uproot the upright cast. No, piano cast. Piano cast. No, not that either. Um, well, speaking of the video, um, the first two videos from the album, uh, Bad Habit and Ease My Mind, um, actually kind of all the videos are sort of interconnected, but the first two are really Those solid. two and Grow As We Go kind of have the most connective tissue narratively. Speaking of which, is the jacket you're wearing now the jacket that's in? Oh my God, I hate disappointing you twice in a row, but <laughs> once again, no, but this it's very much based on, I wanted the all the videos to feel like my own actual life, so it's... The examples I gave were my own clothing, my own piano, my own house. So I'm glad that you're asking. <laughs> so, so the jacket you're wearing is your own jacket. It's or? my own jacket that so I did the not. One in the video. The one in the video is like a slightly nicer, better a fitted version, version of it. Did you get of your to keep own it, jacket? At least? No. What the? Ugh. You need to put something in the contract there. To get I stole a candle from a shoe yesterday. Does that count? <laughs> really? Okay. So, the first two videos from the album, "Bad Habit" and "Ease My Mind," um, co-starred Charlie Carver. Mm-hmm. Um, he was more so in the second right. video. You mm-hmm. see him at the, in the bit. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't watched it yet. Go watch them. Um, <laughs> and they followed a storyline where you two characters are in a, like a rather emotional relationship. Sure. Um, and me, as a gay person, uh, I am still thrilled to see representation like that in music videos. Thanks. Um, especially by artists that are signed to major labels. Totally. Um, it certainly wasn't something that I saw when I was little growing up. Um, I'm a little older than Ben, everyone. <laughs> People listening to this know that. Um, did that weigh on you at all when you were going into the thought process of like, all right, what am I going to do with these videos? And like, what do I want to show? Sure. Not I to mean, make this all heavy. But no, I'm just like, not at all. I, I told the same thing to Troy Sivan on the show once. I'm just like, you don't realize like how cool this is. It's sort of this weird dichotomy of like wanting very much to be this representation that I I'm getting to be and seeing the way that it's affecting people, particularly on tour, having people come up to me and say, you know, I came out to my parents listening to the album or mm. I've never been to a concert that I feel like I've heard the right pronouns, things like that. Like, right. It's so beautiful, but also like, I don't want to take credit for making this big conscious decision because it truly wasn't. It was just, the, the real decision was just very generally to share about myself and mm-hmm. to be authentic and to try to be transparent as opposed to create stories that, that I could pretend were my own. And once that decision was made and I, we were off and running, there was really no question that I would represent it you know, accurately, and I wouldn't edit it for any reason. And so... Then it was just a matter of, who am I going to cast? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I I was hoping that it would be very much a part of the tapestry of it and not kind of the whole purpose of it. Um, and I think it's been very kind of encouragingly innocuous and yeah. I think meaningful to the people that it's meaningful to, but also accessible to the people that don't really care. And that's been wonderful on both sides. Did you know Charlie beforehand? Yes, just a little bit through the Ryan Murphy universe because he's uh, he's in Boys in the Band. It's a and large universe. I like the like Avengers or Marvel multiverse, and <laughs> then know. also the, <laughs> the Ryan Murphy. Yeah, the Murphy verse exactly. It's the slightly more sort of queer progressive version. <laughs> I, I slightly. Think Ryan would probably appreciate that definition of it too. Um, you know, you have won a Grammy, a Tony, and an Emmy, and we were wondering, we were like envisioning like what what the EGOT might look like someday. Just what saying. would be in your wildest dreams, what would be your dream Oscar win? Like, would it be best original song? Would it be, you know, they revive some favorite uh, musical of yours as a movie? Like, Animated short? Yeah. <laughs> documentary feature? All of these sound like thrilling avenues. <laughs> I would love, of course, to write a song, but I think, I mean, I think the ultimate dream coming from the world of acting, and that's what I grew up doing, and mm-hmm. that's always been my biggest dream, would just be to be in a great film. And yeah. To, 
be recognized for that. Um, yeah. With a director that I really like, Greta Gerwig or Olivia Wilde or Bo yes. Burnham or someone young who's making interesting forward-thinking stuff. Um, but animated short is great too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also animated short. <laughs> um, speaking of awards, uh, the Tony Awards are this weekend. Um, when it will be this weekend when you hear this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, yeah. just, I saw a confused look. He's like, wait. Timey wimey would I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to yeah. get on the plane. I'm presenting. <laughs> You're presenting. <laughs> um, have you had the chance to see a lot of the nominated shows this year, like Beetlejuice and Be More Chill, The Share Show? I have seen, I think, every single musical and musical revival. And, wow. and pretty much every play, except I haven't seen the Hillary and, uh, Hillary and Clinton, and I haven't seen Inc., but I've seen pretty much every other production. Oh my wow. god! I really make it a point to see as many things as possible. It's my favorite activity is seeing theater. That's wow. That is did like, not expect that answer. That, no, <laughs> didn't me think neither. you had that so, much like time to do all that. Throw it at me. What do you got? I mean, I, <laughs> I, well, I've only seen one because I I saw the share show, but I don't live in New York. But I you love live Stephanie. there, so you, do you is that just like sort of a normal like weekly thing? Just go see a show. Maybe? Anytime that I find I have some time off, my favorite activity because I it's like a twenty minute walk from my house to the theaters, so it's that's amazing. I try to do it as much as as possible but I'm also you know very privileged that that's something that's accessible to me I wish that theater was that accessible to everyone mm. yeah because it's just such a great way to broaden horizons and also get out of your own head and it's just I, I love going to the theater that is such a treat Hadestown is my favorite if you haven't mm. seen it you should go see it it's like I mean I haven't seen it but I've heard lots of interesting things about it like it's a very interesting show <laughs> it is not I'm like, saying that with a weird look on my face it's not your like <laughs> average Broadway fair in that it's not very like forcibly commercial and it's not doesn't like scream out to be on a big proscenium Broadway stage mm-hmm. but it's maintained so much of its downtown coolness and aesthetic and the score by N.A.S. Mitchell is like unlike any Broadway score I've heard it's gorgeous this like indie rock very particular sound it's very beautiful music I really loved it a lot hmm. are you awesome. going back to Broadway anytime soon? definitely in my life many many times I don't have a date in yet. my life <laughs> I want to badly I mean I can't stay off the stage for too long so I definitely have lots of ideas of things I'd love to do so it's just which one comes to fruition mm-hmm. in time and in the right manner. Right. But I will definitely be back. Um, last thing, you'll be starring in the Netflix uh, series The Politician, mm-hmm. which uh, begins airing in late September 27th, I think. Exactly. Very good. Um, Two days before Radio City Show. Hey, mm-hmm. it's like you planned that. It's a good weekend. And my birthday is the 24th, so it'll be a oh, fun man. week. That'll be a crazy <laughs> week. Um, should we expect any singing from you in the show? I'm assuming no. Yes. Really? There's, um, oh. a, there's a couple little sprinkles. I don't want to spoil anything. Um Spoiler. I forget what the term no is. No one's is listening. It, what's the term where it's like only in the context of the actual world? Oh, diegetic? like diegetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. So there's like two or three moments throughout the season I that like have some... I like the way some... you're just like, what is that word? I'm like, you see a Broadway show every week and you don't know that word. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a film or a TV thing. Or actually, it's it could be a musical or a theater thing too, right? Yeah, it's just whenever it's yeah. only in the context. Like there's no breaking out into song or fantasy world. Right. But there's like uh, a couple of little instances. It's not a musical show by any means, but there's a couple little pops and surprises at that. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. And you said you're already planning on a season two of the show? Yes, we already picked up for season two. We'll start shooting in New York in the fall. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. It's crazy. It's a nice way to go into season one. (laughs) And it was helpful because we all got to make, really become a family, knowing that we were going to have a long-term situation together and get close. And that's my favorite part of doing any project is, like, making a little family. So it was was really fun. Amazing. Well, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming in. And good luck with everything. And see you at the Tonys. See you at the Tonys. Ben for taking the time to come and speak with us we will see him at the Tonys on Sunday and we'll see him at Radio City in September I don't know if we will but the world will yeah I mean (laughs) who knows we could find ourselves in New York in September and also he shares uh, the same opinion as Scott Feinberg that Hadestown 
is the front runner. He really liked it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still amazed that he has basically seen like every show that's probably on Broadway it's, or has been on Broadway in the past. It year. shows how passionate he is about musical theater that also, he, he lives has, 20 minutes away from i mean the yes district. but he's a busy gentleman and is probably not home much i would imagine i yeah but so, I mean, if, if you're shooting stuff and you're based in new york then maybe you just go out but i him. guess if you're ben platt instead of watching like the new movie on netflix you just go to the <laughs> newest musical <laughs> to, to, to ah to live in new york indeed um but yeah i mean that can be really expensive too it can so maybe try to be a famous actor and singer if you're gonna go to every single show yeah but you know i, I well i mean to, but a lot of shows have like rush tickets you know like there's got to be like sort of more inexpensive tickets last minute tickets tkts tickets that's true if you lived in new york if you, lived you in could new york, just like swing enter by. the lottery every day you could like go right. stand in line once in a while it's not exactly but still in general broadway is not an inexpensive endeavor no. yeah well now it's time for the chart stat of the week a pure and simple honesty Thirty-five years ago this week, Whitney Houston made her debut on the Billboard Hot 100 chart as "Hold Me." Her duet with Teddy Pendergrass bowed on the list, dated June 9, 1984. The track entered the list at number 89 and would peak at number 46 that July. Most people probably wouldn't think that this was the first song that Whitney Houston put on nope, our chart. Nope, I have not heard of the song. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a actually. I'll tell you, there's a side note to this <laughs> mm-hmm. as I go off script yet once more. <laughs> that single was the reason why she was not nominated for Best New Artist. Oh. Because there was some cockamamie rule that said if she had, if, if an artist had had some sort of single already previously released or maybe charted, then that in, made you ineligible. Yeah. And so this middling hit. Like, I mean, hit in quotes. This whole Best New Artist thing has always been a tricky science. And I, I and she wasn't nominated for Best New Artist. Mm. And so then a year later, um, you know, after this song that no one knows, aside probably from like Whitney Houston diehards. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teddy Pendergrass. And, and, and Teddy Pendergrass. I mean, look, I'm not saying it's not a good song. I'm just saying that the general person would not think this was her first hit. Right, yes. What you would think is her first hit is the song that I'm about to talk about because mm-hmm. the following year, Houston returned to the Hot 100 with You Give Good Love, the first of her 23 top 10 hits uh, as the track reached number three on the list. Houston would collect 11 number ones on the chart, including an astounding seven consecutive leaders Whoa. between 1985 and in 1988. Two years, seven consecutive number one Hot 100 hits. Every single track that entered the chart went to number one. That's wild. Yeah. Um, in total, Houston has tallied 39 hits on the list and last visited the chart with a new single in 2009 with Million Dollar Bill. I remember that. And if he makes you feel like a million dollar bill, say, oh, oh, say, anyway. Uh. Um, so there you have it. 35 years ago this week, Whitney Houston debuted on the Hot 100 with Hold Me. Okay, any parting words, Katie? Man, looking forward to the Tonys this, this Sunday. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you covering them? Are you watching them from home? For, I get to watch for Bill fun. Bur- yeah. Oh, for fun. And you just told me it's not going to be on until eight. So I'm not covering it. I'm going to be watch or uh, I'm covering our CMT Music Awards uh, or handling our CMT Music Awards coverage, which is Wednesday. Oh. So that that's my job. We didn't even talk about the CMT Music Awards. Oh, by Awards. the way, the CMT Music Awards are on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, drat. What's I all- mean, it's the Pop Shop podcast. The people don't expect us to talk about the CMT Music Except Awards. Except when we have Casey Musgraves on. Exactly. <laughs> that was different. That was different. So what song should we go out on? Um, something kind of um, Broadway-ish or something Whitney-ish? Ooh. Oh, man. I like both of those options. Um, let's go out on something Broadway. Um, okay. So... Um, what song There's... should we should we let the people hear a little taste of Hades Town? Oh, uh, yeah, that'd right? be interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what that sounds like too. <laughs> See you guys next time. Bye. Winter's nigh and summer's four. Hear that high and lonesome sound of my husband coming for bring me home. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.